Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. I still do the little bop dance thing <laughs> when I hear that in my headphones. And you know what? Just picturing that makes me so happy. I, I, I look forward to that every it. show. You can see me doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. How are you doing tonight, George? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm here with two dogs and a cat. You know, wife's out of town recording. I've got an unopened bottle of beer and my Star Trek The Next Generation mm. bottle opener. Can't ask oh, for much boy. more. <laughs> oh, okay. Like when you texted me an hour ago, I thought you'd be like an hour into that bottle already. No, no, no. Like I'm going to oh. open it. <laughs> You're going to hear me open it when it's my turn to talk. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> A little timepiece for here. Um, the last two episodes we've done, George has been here in studio here in Illinois with, uh, uh, with me to record the show. That is not the case tonight. Uh, George is back in his home in Virginia. I am here in uh, Darien Studios. And uh, yeah, we're doing our thing in separate states. But um, it's interesting because we uh, we went from the most sober show that we've ever done as the last recording we did. At the recording yeah. time was yeah. January of uh, 2019. Um, our recording time was the middle of the day. And instead of beer glasses, there was coffee mugs. So George has stepped up his game significantly from coffee mugs. <laughs> and yeah. uh, George, that being said, you want to tease what you'll be enjoying this evening during the show? Yeah. So we there's a there, we've talked about this brewery a couple times on the show. Um, down in is Lamont, right? I believe. Yep. Yep. Yeah, down in Lamont called Pollyanna. And this is the second run of a beer that they've done called Orenda, which is a Belgian-style quadruple or quad ale aged in red wine barrels. And I'm actually very excited. I got this as a Christmas present from Jason. And it did not come in the mail because that's not allowed. And there was, <laughs> I was so excited to see this that I completely missed the shirt that was also <laughs> in the box for a minute. I mean, not in the box because that would not be legal. <laughs> and and you and you had quite the discipline keeping that uh, to the side. And man, what better time to enjoy it than here than here on a recording? So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I should, you know, but it, it's also because I've been a little negligent in my beer drinking and I've been, you know, in the past month it's been very busy. I've been sticking to my um my old my own homebrew and, you know, a few things around here and so I just I don't have new and exciting beers to review for you guys and I feel bad about that. So, I'm going <laughs> to bust open this bottle of Orenda and do a live review. All right. Very good. Well, that'll still make for a great, great segment. Very good. Okay. Before we dive into other brews reviewed, I got a couple of uh, housekeeping uh, topics I wanted to cover real quick. 
Um, the first is our social media links. Facebook, um, we are on Facebook at Nice Place to Brew. That's the uh, that's the link. Um, we are uh, we are posting more frequently. So if you haven't liked our Facebook page, log in today and, and give us a like and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, we're on Instagram as uh, as well under at a nice place to brew, uh, at a nice place to brew, and we post uh, we post pictures of poured beers, projects, recording, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So. So check us out. Second thing, um, I want to give a quick plug uh, to a couple of our fellow uh, JBG Club members. Uh, and I'm talking about our friends at Will County Brewing Company. Our friends at Will County are on the mar- are close to um, are close to their first anniversary mark. And the time of this recording is at the end of February of 2019 this show may be up before the end of february it may be up uh in the very very early part of march but uh if you catch this uh catch this episode uh, shortly after it uh after it's uploaded uh will Co- will county brewing company's um first anniversary event is running between friday march 8th and uh sunday march 10th if you look at their uh, Facebook page, um, they've got a calendar of events uh, covering the um, that uh, that three day weekend. There's a ton going on: live music, special beer releases. It'll be a great time, and and really, I mean, just very excited for you know a great bunch of guys at Will County Brewing Company that's really weathered quite a quite a memorable storm in their in their first year in operation. So, so check them out. On that note. Um, I, I don't have the list of beers that uh, Will County is going to release for that event, but one of the things that they, or I should say, one of the special things they're planning for that event is a um, is a number of releases that are under uh, the category of cereal beer, beers. And George, I, mm, I, uh, I I've was, seen uh, that, yeah. I was cru- I was uh, I was looking across a couple of uh, uh, web pages over the last uh, couple of days, and your home state of Virginia uh, is the home to quite an exciting cereal beer that you may want to look at look out for. Okay, do this tell. Is not, this is not right in your neighborhood. It's all it's over in Norfolk, which is not you know right down the road from you. But nevertheless, there is a brewery called uh, Smart Mouths brewing company it's out of norfolk and they have a lucky charms themed what they're referring to as a saturday morning ipa oh good lord okay yeah, yeah. yeah. i'll have to look into that yeah yeah i i that is that's a beer that's got my name all over it i, I tell you <laughs> i have not had a bowl of lucky charms since i was a kid but that was definitely a favorite of mine and if i and if i found a beer that was uh that had had lucky charms in a mash i would be all over it <laughs> well we all had, remember how successful our corn pops triple was <laughs> <laughs> very true <laughs> i really wish i oh man i i, I in my prep for the show i, I should have gone to will county's page and found out i want to say they have like three four maybe five different cereal beers that they're going to have on tap for their anniversary Oh wow! So okay. I guess yeah, I guess Joel, I guess Joel, our friend Joel, who's been on the show, I guess he's got a love for cereal beers, and he and he jumped on it. So. Yeah. Anyways, I've got one other thing before we go into uh, other brews reviewed. Yeah, I've got I've got quite a list to start the show here today. Okay, I'm okay. about to go on a rant. 
Uh oh. Which well, I don't before usually... you hang on, before you rant, do we wanna uh, just real quick address the few things from last week, or is that related to your rant? It's not related to my rant, and let's and let's save that for uh, let's save that for later on. Okay, rant away then. All right. Okay, the time as I mentioned before, the time of this recording is February the twenty fifth. Um, for those of you who are here in Illinois, and George, you're certainly familiar with this. We are on. We are right on the cusp of the two largest home brewing competitions in, over the course of the entire year, and they just happen to be two weeks apart in the month of March. Drunk so, monk and boss, I assume. Exactly. So, yeah. and I, I got to preface this, I I really think I'm going to piss somebody off by by saying this, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Controversy. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyways, um, we... Between George and myself, we have participated in both these competitions for every year. I think this is the fifth year running, if, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly. Maybe the fourth, possibly the fifth. But anyway, um, just the way the calendar works and the fact that beer making is not an overnight process, you know... You got you got to be plan you know you got to be planning months in advance to have beers you know made and ready for you know the, the submission timeframes between late February and early March so they can be judged in those competitions. Well, here's the problem: How warm is it in Illinois between the months of January first and the middle of February? I rest my case. Okay, so I have a double. So here's where my rant is coming from. <laughs> I have a double IPA that's cold crashing right now. Uh-huh. This beer was made two weeks ago. It was 25 okay. degrees in my garage for a seven-hour brew day, and I <laughs> and I braved the elements strictly out of love for making beer and my desire to continue participating in these festivals. So, listen, boss, drunk monk, can I be the first voice out there to say, can you please... Please, please have have sympathy for us and move these competitions to either September or October or sometime when it's not 25 goddamn degrees out. Yeah, I mean, come on. Chicago has like two weeks of warm weather. You can plan it so you can use those weeks to, to brew some beer. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can't be the only person who's run into this because, I mean, unless you're submitting beers that you made in the fall, which I imagine some people are doing, but, you know, the, re- the rest of us, they're doing the same thing I did. You're in the garage just, you know, with, you know, 50 layers on just trying to brave the elements. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I don't I have no idea what the rationale is, but you know, behind behind the March date, and you know, I know it's going to take more than just some lunatic on a podcast just saying, "Hey, you know, let's move the timetable for this." But you know, come on, I, I you know, I I stand by this. So, <laughs> okay. So, any, so, anyways, that's that's my a, that's my rant. We Jason uh, needs a uh, change.org petition to move the. <laughs> the to- <laughs> And by the way, I'm not giving out my email address or my last name, so you can't you can't uh, make my uh, scores for these competitions <laughs> suffer. And I'm doing that on purpose. So I still have partial anonymity doing this doing this show. Not that not that it's that big a mystery. But, anyways, all right, that's enough of that. Right, George, you yes. ready to break that bottle open? I am. I've been sitting here not drinking. 
listen to ranting about it being cold in Chicago, which of course is cold in Chicago and not drinking. Have I mentioned that I'm not drinking? So here, listen, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not stopping what, you. What? Yeah. I told you live review. I can't like just, you know, anyway, moving on. Right. I'm opening it up. Okay. I don't oh, know if you heard man. that or not. That was good. That was good. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. So Arenda. Again, once again, this is a Belgian-style quad um, aged in red wine barrels and with uh, Brett, Brett Amelis, which tells me it should be slightly bitter. And uh, it is a 10.4% alcohol and a decent amount of carbonation because it almost overflowed the bottle. Oh. Yeah. All right, so looking at it, we got a nice, cloudy, dark amber verging on brown color, I think. You know my eyes with colors, Jason, but I believe that to be accurate. Okay. Decent head on there. Yeah, nice and sticky on the glass. On the nose, you get... Mm, a really nice, not overpowering, but um, nice and present uh, scent of the uh, red wine, with just a little bit of free hops on the on uh, on the back end of the of the nose. Okay. All right. Giving it a try. Yep, just slightly soured with the bread amelies, and. Otherwise, it has a lot of those really good Belgian notes in it. Very caramel, very smooth. Uh, this is another really good showing of the Arenda uh, beer and, and this style. I'm I'm very happy with it. Very impressed. All right, good deal, man. I miss that beer. I will always remember that first uh, that first release that you and I went to, where we got to try the Arenda for the first time. Well, yeah. I mean, what a what a memorable Belgian quad that is. Oh man, I oh, I am so jealous just hearing. I mean, because everything you just said just you know made me reminisce of that first taste that I had. <laughs> and man, did you it, not get any for yourself? Uh, uh-uh, no, no. Oh man, yeah. Now they did a good job with this. Uh, I, I I almost wish I had volume one so I could do a side by side on it. Yeah, see how yeah. it evolved, but. Um, from what I remember of Volume 1, this is still a very good representation and very solid. You think, and, I, should yeah. e- you think I should ever tell the story on the show about um, my one later experience with Arenda? You know what I'm talking about. I think I do, but I don't entirely remember. Oh, so oh, I'm going to okay. say... I'm gonna say no for now, and so right. just in case it's you know something that shouldn't be on the show. But <laughs> all uh, right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna save it for the okay. I'm gonna. This will encourage the listeners to stay till the end of the show. Stay till the end, and right before we close out the show, I'll tell that story. Okay. All right. Good deal. I should also mention I'm drinking it out of my uh, Bob's Burgers Tina Belcher butts glass. So <laughs> it's not really important to the style or anything it's just entertaining it, and you know it paints it paints quite a picture <laughs> all right because it's it's etched on there in a really classy way oh okay <laughs> <laughs> all right well you can't see it and this won't be a full review but um i am drinking some beer courtesy of george 
um, because our friends at Metal Monkey released a beer called Lady Middle Finger uh, mm. about a month or so ago. It is an Imperial Tiramisu stout. And I say it's courtesy of George because we were gifted with four packs each after their uh, recent anniversary event. And George, of course, being that it's illegal to travel <laughs> with closed bottles and cans, just <laughs> happened to have to leave his, pri- his prize here at my house. Well, okay, I'm making use of it. And I didn't have any room in my suitcase. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm up. All right, I've got uh, two beers to review, and they're both from the same brewery, and they're both from the same series. I'm talking about a little brewery called Revolution Brewing. It just mm. happened to be the, I think the, I think the tagline is the largest independent craft brewery in Illinois. Okay. I believe, I, I, believe I'm, I said that correctly. Forgive me if I didn't. But anyways, I uh, I was at a friend's event over this week this weekend, and he had a special twelve pack from Revolution that um, me and a couple of people got to dive into. The name of the twelve pack, George, you'll appreciate this, is League of Heroes. And so let's read part of the description of the League of Heroes. League of Heroes IPA variety packs uh, to combine the leadership of anti-hero, Chicago's number one IPA. It is a staple here in Chicago with mm-hmm. three of its best recruits. Each 12-pack includes at least one innovative hero making their first appearance along with the return of previous favorites from our rotating Hero Series 6-packs. So basically, if I'm if I'm if I understand the way this whole thing works, I believe each of these League of Heroes. I think the I think the one real, I should say, or I should say, the most significant difference between each of these beers is the hop variety. I looked at some of the cans, and the ABVs varied very slightly. Every beer was pretty much between six and a half and seven and a half percent alcohol. Um, wow! It was, it was you know, and it kept pretty close to that range. But there was there was a unique set of hops that was named on on each can. So I really think that's what they're using to differentiate differentiate each beer, along with some pretty creative um, can designs. I don't know who's doing their marketing and their graphics, but hats off to you. You, you guys are killing it. <laughs> the, the, the cans are very impressive. But anyways, um, the first beer I'm going to review is going to be Antihero. Again, this is a staple here in the in the in the Chicagoland area, and you know, and for what it is, it's a very solid IPA. So the uh, details that are listed out on Untapped, um, Revolution's flagship IPA is supremely aromatic, crisp, and drink uh, drinkable. This iconic ale features a blend of Warrior, Chinook, Centennial, and Amarillo to create a crisp, clean bitterness and imparts massive floral and citrus aromas. An American hop assault for all the ambivalent warriors who get the girl in the end. Look, I look, I ain't in this for your revolution, and I'm not in it for you, princess. That's, oh, wow. that, that's straight off of Untapped. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Although is Han Solo really an anti-hero? Because <laughs> that's—I mean—that's a direct Han Solo quote. It is so, okay. I, I didn't yeah, even know it that. Is. I did not know. Yeah. So I mean, he's a rogue and he's a uh, like a a brigand, if you will. But is he really an anti-hero? I mean, that's—I think that's pushing that a little far. There, huh. revolution. Yeah, man. 
I'm just not enough of a Star Wars guy. I can't take a stance on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, anti-hero is good. You know, I mean, I like, don't love IPAs. You know, to me, I mean, the bitter notes are very powerful and you know and, and there's a time and place for it you know and and, I don't, and you know i don't not enjoy it you know but is it going to be the first beer i'm going to reach re- something's wrong with my microphone no I'm back is it the first beer that i'm going to reach for no but you know again for what it is it's very good you know i'm not surprised at all that it has the following that it does and you know i won't say it's not it's not deserved so yeah i mean that's that's my take on anti-hero yeah, I, you know, I, I remember having it out there, and, and I'm and I'm a little less uh, keen on IPAs than you are, but I remember yeah. it being I remember it being good, and I remember for it being IPA, it wasn't punchier in the face bitter; it was more fruity than that, if I remember correctly. You know, it's interesting. They're na- the- when they list out the hop varieties, that is the picture that that you get. But I remember this, you know, from ha- from having Antihero. I just, you know, I got I f- my taste buds just had a lot of bitter bitterness. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah I might be remembering that poorly. It's you know, been a while. Right. I mean, but, sixty-five yeah. IBUs. I mean, so it's not like going off, you know, you know, off the charts or anything. So yeah, sixty-five IBUs on top of seven percent alcohol. And what's the color on it? Do you know? Uh, Untapped does not have the SRM. Uh, but, okay. you know, I mean, it pours, you know, it, it's not quite amber ale, but it's probably, just, you know, just a couple couple points underneath that. Okay. So it's got some malt to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. So, I mean, this, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. So, which other variety did you pick? Okay, this is one that I'm excited about because this this is one that I really enjoyed. The uh, name of the beer is Cashmere Hero, and uh, some numbers on this: uh, the it's seven percent alcohol by volume. Again, it's uh, sixty five IBUs. Um, the hops on this were Cashmere, Centennial, and Amarillo. The description, uh, a mountain of flavors rise above this silky cashmere hopped IPA, lemon, lime, and ripe cantaloupe with a touch of grapefruit. So that, so I, I was not overly familiar with cashmere hops until I read this description, but, uh, when I looked it up, it had all these flavors that it just listed up in the, uh, in the, uh, earlier description. When it mentions lemon, lime, and ripe cantaloupe, you know, you, you see that, you know, attributed directly with the cashmere hops. There was just something about this, about this beer. I mean, just, it hit me in all the right ways. I, I mean, that, that was, <laughs> honestly, it was the beer of the day. It really was. This, this cashmere hero from Revolution. So, I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to turn in my classic rock card here. Cashmere, that's Floyd, right? No, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Damn it, see, like I said, turning in my classic rock oh, car for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, for, I'll forgive you for that one. Yeah, no, but yeah, no. So all those citrus notes and everything that they talked about, all those came through? Yeah, and it and it created a very, very nice balance to the beer. I mean, much much more so than like you'd find with Antihero, in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. 
Okay, you mentioned Cashmere being Led Zeppelin, so I've got a slight Led Zeppelin story because at this event I was at where I had this beer, uh, a big chunk of the music that they were playing that day was Greta Van Vliet. Greta Van Vliet? Uh-oh, okay, I'm going to cut this out. Never mind. Okay, Just sorry, I don't know Greta Van Vliet. Really? Yeah. They're, they're, they're like the biggest band in the world right now. And it's, I mean, their music is, no, it, I say that because their music is a throwback to Led Zeppelin. If you tur- if you look them up and you turn them on, you will swear that you are listening to like a 70s Led Zeppelin. Nice. I'm serious. I'll also look that up. Yeah, yeah. And again, they're like the biggest band in the world right now. I, yeah, sorry. I, you know, I'm, I've been, I've had my head buried in classic rock. I, I haven't, you know, paid much attention to new stuff recently. Huh. Yeah, maybe I will leave this in. We'll see. <laughs> see how I, feel, how I feel when I'm doing the edit. Um, okay, I think uh, I think that's all the brews reviewed. How's the uh, How's the next couple of sips of the uh, Arenda coming down? Oh man, it just gets better and better as you go. Yeah, and it's not, the, and that's not the ten percent talking. That's it. You know, warming up a little bit. That's you know, as as that happens, those. The you know the the slight banana notes of the Belgian come through, okay. and the and and the 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 warm tanniny feel of the wine comes through all that much more, and it just makes the whole thing more expressive as it as you go as it warms up. All right, well, yeah. I, I think there's hope. Hope after all, this still might be the drunkest show we've ever done. We're just we're just getting started. So <laughs> we are, yes. George, no. he's got a full twenty-two ounce bottle in front of him, folks. I, I do, I do. I may have over, uh, overestimated my ability here, but <laughs> I think I'll be all right. <laughs> we'll find out by the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. One pint six fluid ounces. I don't yeah, One so pint six fluid ounces. Yeah, twenty-two ounces, yeah. Twenty-two ounces, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's close up. I think that's uh, segment number one. All yeah. right. Sounds good. You know, I was uh, I was so eager to get into uh, my rant, I didn't even tease what's uh what's on the uh, agenda for the rest of the show. So we are going to Recipe Rizard uh, in the seg- second segment, and we're going to be talking about BJCP Category 5D, which is German pills, and our tips from the semi-pros segment, if George can stay sober enough to get to the third segment. Is, I, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's going to be on fermentation vessels, and George has a new toy that he's found quite uh, quite helpful, and I think uh, I think we'll all take, uh, take a lot away from, from talking about that. So stick with us. We'll be right back. All right. Shall we? We shall. All right. Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. We are into segment number two. Um, recipe wizard and we are going to talk today about German Pilsner but first I have a trivia question uh oh yeah. okay uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't expect this uh-huh. at the beginning of this segment uh-huh. okay go shoot uh-huh. well th- this is um, 
this is uh, topic specific also, and I think this is I think this is going to pr- give a great framework to what we're going to talk about for uh, for Pilsner beers. So the trivia question is this: Pilsner, a light beer developed in the 19th century, has the largest market share of beer sold in Germany by quite some. Or no, I'm sorry, yeah, beer sold in Germany by quite some distance, but it was invented in a city that's in the modern day Czech Republic. So, and, oh, rewind. Uh-huh. Pilsner beer is the most popular beer by category in the world. So that's the setup. So, okay. so here's the trivia question. Worldwide, what percentage of all beer consumption is tied to Pilsners? All right. Oh, Lord. Yep. Okay. So your four choices are A, 15%. B, 35%. C, 75%. Or D, 90%. Um, I am not prepared to go to the full 90%, but I... I'm going to say 75. You should have gone with your first guess. The answer is 90%. Damn. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Here's I think what it comes down to, I mean, this number 1, I mean, Pilsner is a I mean, it's a storied beer. It's it's a widely produced beer and there's a lot of consumers out there that really don't deviate away from that light style that we're going to talk about in this in this segment. So, that's that's where that comes in. I I don't I wonder if that's a bit of an old number, but I don't think it's that old. I don't I it might be a little bit of an old number, but I I, I don't think it's that far off if it's lost some of that market share. Yeah. Then I I wouldn't be too surprised, but it wouldn't I wouldn't see it dropping anywhere lower than 75. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. 75 to 90% of the world's beer consumption is Pilsner. So you've got a 15 to 25% slice of the pie for all of your stouts, your porters, your amber ales, your IPAs. That's crazy. It's a big pie. That's crazy. Yes, it's a big pie, but I mean, <laughs> that's, a, I mean but, uh, that's such a small percentage of all of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, and, and you're right, but you know, it's you got to think about the drinking cultures around the world, even in the U.S., where you know people feel like uh, Americans drink to excess. Right, right. You know, it's it's a culture of it's a social culture. Oh yeah. So you know, a pilsner, as we're going to get into, is a very sessionable beer. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you could just sit back and drink. A couple pilsners for a couple hours and shoot the shit watch a watch a football match be that you know american or or proper football and you know and just you know spend hours doing that so well said. I, yeah no, no, that's, that's yeah. very well said and, and you're 100 percent right that, and that's a that's a big chunk of where you know where that market dominance comes in yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you just uh, you just mentioned some of the uh, attributes. So uh, why don't we start off and we'll go to the uh, vital statistics part of the uh, the page, and we'll, okay. we'll kind of go from there. I think I, I know I'd heard you say about a comment about color, and I'll go ahead and start uh, start with that one. The SRM is two to five. So I mean, this is 
you know, this is one of the paler beers that, you know, that one can make. You know, your your color is going to be, you know, just off from, you know, j- just off of, you know, a really light. That's a horrible description. Never mind. Two to five. <laughs> two to five is the SRM, you know. That, that that paints the picture it's i mean it's a it's a clear light colored beer all done there mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to talk about uh ibus sure yeah no ibus on this and and this is you know if there's one thing i can say about especially the german pilsner um but as, you know the czech pilsner to a point is that it's a palette like it is it, it's it it's an all around easy drinking beer and that is the uh you know expressed in the ibus as well that they are kept low at 22 to 40 enough to preserve the ve- the beer enough to give it those hot, some of those hop characters without it being confused with a, an ipa or a hellas even of you know those more hop forward type beers so yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's meant to be something that is just, you can, and, and it, it contributes to what some people mistakenly think of uh, Pilsner as a bland beer. Have you heard that, Jason? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. if you're somebody that loves IPAs, it's easy to see where you would get that distinction from because you're not getting this hot bomb that you're expecting from an IPA and you're not getting all the malts either. So, I mean, you're, you know, you're less on the spectrum in both those areas. So, I mean, if you're expecting this flavor explosion, this, you know, this style is not going to be your beer. Yeah. It's not going to be a go-to. Yeah. But I think in, in that, if you set that aside and you don't expect the malt, explosion or the hop explosion and you just focus in on the, what it is there's a lot of nuance to it like you get the the nuance and interplay between the malt and the hops that are there that is much more expressive than you would have in some of those other styles you know and on this style too you you made a comment one time that i think is worth repeating you would describe this um this style as a white car of beers mm, yeah you want to you go over what I you meant by, by that? that so one of the reasons that you don't get a white car is you see everything. If you get a little bit of dirt on it, if you um, you know, get some salt from the road or whatnot, you'll see it because it's a white car. Anything that gets on it will show up. And that's very true about the Pilsner style. Like it, it is a very technical style because it's so easy to introduce off flavors to it. You know, if you have um, like DMS or or um, or crap. What's some of the other? I can, I'm blanking on the off flavors right now. DMS Sul- is sulfur. Like yeah, sulfur like smells, the sulfur. Yeah, or the, the one that's like kind of like a band aid type taste to it. Um, which I don't know how we all know what a band aid tastes like, but you know. But anyway, the but- um, uh, butterscotch. Now, now I'm testing myself here. Uh, right. Oh crap. Well, but you get the point. Like, you know, if you get those different off flavors in there, they're going to show up and be very expressive and, and will ruin the 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 palate of that beer because it, it the, the flavors in it are very subtle. So any off flavors are going to be very aggressive. They're going to be very expressive in the beer, and, you, and it's going to take over. No question. 
No, I'm I'm totally on board. No, I agreed with it when I first with you when you first uh, said that. It still absolutely rings true. So I I think uh, on that note, it's it's worth kind of mentioning about how this is made. This is of course a lager, so you know you know you you plan your time accordingly because I mean you're going to be, you know it's a you know being a lager, it's a bottom fermented beer and it's going to ferment cold and it's going to take longer, and it's also also make men. it's also worth mentioning that this is one of those rare styles of beer that you can use unique uh, mashing uh, mashing methods, such as the double or triple decoction mashes that we've talked about on previous shows. Depends on how many dogs, yeah. It does, yes, it does. It does. <laughs> but to be honest, I mean, I think I think the that mashing style has a place in this conversation about about pilsner beers. It does, yeah. Yeah, and it's we have gone over it before. Just to in case people don't remember, you know, the the main reason for decoction. Well, what decoction mashing is is you actually remove the grains and boil the grains, and then add them back into your mash in order to raise the temperature. And the reason for that is because it was for not well modified grains. In other words, you know. Grains that you get that you use, you can't just use them straight out of the field. They have to be modified. They have to be heated and um, and cured, basically, in order to be able to be suitable for beer use. Before that was really well defined, um, people would use decoction mashing and to achieve similar or same results, and it did that really well. And we did it once um, fairly early on, actually. And it was a giant pain in the ass. And- it was a long <laughs> brew day, too. They were going for like eight day. to ten hours, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like if you're doing if you're doing a, a pilsner beer with uh, decoction mashing, that's gonna that's gonna be your entire day. So clear your yeah. calendar. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, so it's. But it it you know for those non well modified grains it really helped to basically modify them during the mashing process and and allow them to be suitable for for brewing use um, and is something that we actually got some exceptional I think we had around eighty percent mash efficiency it was the highest efficiency when, we ever got I mean it was like we ever got yeah yeah, yeah it was it was really ridiculously good yeah yeah. I wish I had that number around uh, around me. I, I don't know commercially just how many. I mean, the answer is probably very low. I wonder how many commercial pilsners are um, made with decoction mashing, and then and then it came to my brain, you know, decoction mashing on a commercial level, you know, is is almost unimaginable. No, oh, jeez, I don't even know. Yeah. That would be... I might have to come back to that point. That'd be extremely difficult, at least for modern commercial setups. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. More on that in a future show. That's that's going to be a follow-up Yeah, point. for sure. Yeah, we're going to yeah. follow up on that because I want to know if any modern breweries are doing any... Deco- like, I'm, I'm intensely curious about that at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so yeah, so... German Pilsner, you know, like I said, a lot of the 
um, appeal to it is it, it's his, it's session ability. So Jason, the ABV and the uh, the gravity statistics, where are we sitting with that? Okay, so your ABV statistics is between four point four and five point two. So you got kind of you got a narrow window uh, in there, you know, four point four to five point two. You're just above, you know, kind of session levels for the most part, at least the lower ones, um, you know. But you're you're just you're kind of this. You're going to be in the middle of the road, you know, with this one. And uh, just to put some gravities around there, um, the original gravity range is 1.044 to 1.050, and then to finish at between 1.008 and 1.013. So you're, uh, you know, you're st- you're starting off at a at a relatively low level, but you're going to ferment the vast majority of that, you know, of that gravity that you're that you're bringing over from the mash. So between 1.008 and 1.013, there's not a whole lot left. And you know, depending on where you are on that scale, that's really gonna that's really gonna determine just how dry your your beer is in the oh, end. Sure. Because at 1.008, I mean, George, we were ta- we were talking off air about your brewed IPA, but what was your final mm-hmm. after that was done? It was like 10.03, 10.04. Okay, so you went down way further than that. Okay, so... Way further, but it, that's intended, you know, so... But you're getting... I mean, even at, the, at this level, I mean, at at, uh, at 10.08, you know, you're you're definitely low, and that's definitely going to... Oh, mean, yeah. You're going to get... You're going to have a noticeably dry feeling from that. Yeah, what's amazing about the Pilsner style, though, is... There's a big difference between the 10.08 and the 10.13. Oh, huge. Huge difference. And you wouldn't think so because they're both really dry numbers. But again, we're talking about those very subtle flavor palette notes. So that extra little bit of sweetness from the higher final gravity really comes out in the beer. Yeah. And you just do uh, do law. I mean, just the just percentages. You know, you're uh, you're almost double up the scale from ten ten oh eight when you get all to all the way to uh, ten thirteen. That's true. Yeah, never thought about it that way, but you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, we went through all the vital t- statistics. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's go through a, a couple of the uh, big bullet items. Actually, you know, before I, let's let's start off and and uh, uh, let's go through ingredients. Okay. Um. The uh, malt, uh, we'll do malt, hops, and yeast. Um, malt is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, you, I, I think your your base malt is going to be at least eighty eight percent of your total grain bill. You know, if not, you know, quite a bit higher than that. Um, Pilsner malt is uh, is the go to for that. You know, it's got the uh, it's got the low it's got the real low end SRM, which is right where you want to be for a for a beer of this style. And um, I guess a second grain, if I were to recommend one. Shush. Hi, Wesley. That's oh, Fred. No, that's, a, oh, that's a Fred. Shush. <laughs> second grain, if, yeah. Second grain, if I were to recommend one, I, I'm partial to um, Carapils. Um, I, I think Carapils mm. is great. I use Carapils in every one of my recipes because it's fairly flavor neutral, but it's going to add to head retention. And... 
it's just I'm comfortable using it. I, I like the effect that it has, and I think it's I think it's a good go to. So you're right. It is fairly flavor new, and it adds a little, just a the hintest bit of color too. That's typically. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. And um, uh, head retention is one important thing about this uh, this style. So I mean, you're gonna. Um, your head retention should be should be healthy and noticeable, um, and if you're light on the carbonation on this beer, you're doing something wrong. So pay mm. pay close attention to a the head retention and also your carbonation. So yeah, I mean that's really. Uh, do you have? I mean, do you, do you have any other well, suggestions the- as far as to like a second malt to use? On a pilsner, uh, well, I was going to say a caramel malt. So carapils would. I mean, uh, if you if you're going to use a caramel malt, I mean, ten to twenty and nothing higher. Uh, oh yeah, no way. Yeah, exactly. Low, low Lavabon caramel malt is what I was thinking. Just low to volume the, oh, too. I mean, really. Low. Oh, very low volume. You're talking like five percent ish. Yeah, you know, in the in the mash. Yeah, but, that sounds right. You know, another. You know, when we're talking about those ingredients, especially when we've talked about um, how you should treat Pilsner malts um, when it comes to brewing, one of the biggest things that you um, will find with uh, the Pilsner style and, and, and a lot of that Pilsen malt in there is you want to make sure that you're doing an extended boil. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm really so, glad you mentioned this. This oh yeah, no. so and using pills and malt this is really important. Mhm. So and and it's to you know and it's the reason why DMS was stuck in my head is a lot of the um you know 90 minute boil is typically what you want to do at a minimum to make sure that you can you know boil off those um crap what's it called Jason? The the DMS the, no. the DMS, yeah. yeah that's, no, that's there's all... a, there's another term for it, but yeah, to basically to boil off the DMS and yeah. make sure that no, that's exactly know, what none of is. that's sticking around in the wort when you go to ferment it. Hence the longer brew day, not just a longer yeah. mash. You got a longer boil as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, hops. Okay, George, I think you'll be better on this one than me. Uh, (laughs) My first thought, I mean, I'm going into this a little bit blind, but I feel like Mm -hmm. your starting point for this is the German Noble Hops. Yeah, no, and your ending point, typically. Okay, starting and ending. Okay, great. Yeah, for a German Pilsner, I mean, one of the defining characteristics of a German Pilsner is the German Noble Hops. Is Tettenanger, is Saz, is Hollow Tower, is... um, you know, really, those ones are kind of the 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 benchmark for um, for a, a a good German pilsner. Um, I tend to lean more towards Saz when it comes to it because I think it's kind of gives it a little bit more of an earthy tone and it is indicative of the style. Um, but if you are living in the noble hops when you're when you're working with this style, you're you're going to be okay. Nice. Yeah, and uh, IBUs, you know, we're t- you're only trying to create twenty, you know, twenty two to forty. So you're, I mean, you're still, you know, low to low high on the overall overall spectrum there. So, you know, you, you want hops that are just going to add character, but not, you know, overwhelm the bitterness. Right. Yeast. 
Uh, you're looking at yeah, uh, German lager yeast. Yep. Uh, there's a couple different varieties, um, some specifically designed for Pilsner, uh, but don't feel constrained by that as long as you're you know working say, with a good yeah go ahead i think the key on this is you know stick to lager yeast there are a couple there are a number of different varieties of of german lager yeasts um made you know made from the major manufacturers i, I believe and you know forgive me if i'm wrong about this but i believe that there's not a tremendous variation in these especially being that these are all going to ferment at cold temperatures so mm-hmm. I, I don't think your um, your flavor notes are going to vary quite as widely as your ale yeasts that are that are available. So you know, not typically. Yeah. So I would say pay less attention to what yeast you're going to use and pay more attention to the technique that you're going to use to u- use during fermentation. Temperature yeah, control if- being you know right at the top of the list because you know if you have any variation from that, you're going to have problems. Yeah, treat the yeast right and it'll it'll do fine. Right. And the the most of the time the yeast um is there to serve a function and not to be part of the uh profile of the beer. Yes. And it's it's meant to convert sugars into alcohol. The one exception I've seen to that is a Bavarian German Pilsner where the Bavarian lager yeast um, tends to add a little bit more of uh, somewhat of like a half bready, half nutty note to it and has an interesting effect on a Pilsner. Um, But most of the time you just want it to be clean, neutral yeast. In fact, safe ale, because I know you're a fan of the dry yeasts Uh recently. Yes, I am. They have a, a, a fairly neutral lager yeast that's really good for um, uh, for this I can't remember the, is that it yeah. okay I've, that's yeah that's been my go-to for uh for, okay. for lager fermentation it's awesome it's really versatile it's uh it's temperature range is actually quite wide and i mean for me it's it's done it's done everything i've needed it to okay yeah. now do you know typically you rehydrate dry yeast at you know a fairly warm temperature. Do you rehydrate a lager dry yeast that in the same way when you do it? I would or? think so. That's, you okay. know what? I don't know the answer offhand. It makes sense to me that you would though. Okay. Do you, when you did it last time, did you create a starter? Yeah. Okay. You know what? And I can't remember if we talked about this on, on this show or not, but uh, apparently my use of starters with uh, dry yeast proved to be a little bit controversial. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, okay, all right. I completely disagree yeah, with I, what I still, people were saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I need yeah. to. I need to speak to somebody smarter than me to really sit me down and just give me all the facts of about of why that's not the case. So, I, I'm yeah, open to I the mean, idea, I, but I mean, I mean l- listen, I mean. You know, I mean, especially, I mean, the example of the 3470 that I used to make my uh, Oktoberfest. I mean, I mean, after 48 hours in a starter, I mean, that that thing, I mean, that fermentation started in a really healthy way. So, well, and that's why I completely disagree, because you're when you do a starter, part of what you're doing is you're creating new, more vital yeast. Right. You know, because they're they're new splits and um and you're and you're also creating more, so you're creating yeast that's ready to do its conversion, and you're and you're re-energizing it. I don't see a downside. I, that's how I feel about it. 
Someone, someone prove me wrong. Someone tell me wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just put it in a way that makes that makes sense. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll gladly come on this show and be like, okay, I was wrong. I'm not afraid Tail of that. between the legs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not beneath that. I will gladly do that if I'm wrong. So anyways, open invitation. We gave out our social media links at the beginning of the show. If you've got an argument against it, let us know. Okay. All right. Uh, Okay. Um, Carbonation. Oh, this description here does not have a recommended um, PSI. No, and it wouldn't, but a Vols, um, if I remember correctly, for a German Pilsner, um, I think it's 2.6. That's okay. That sounds about right. Anyways, the, the takeaway is, as we mentioned earlier, should be, you know, you, your head retention should be healthy. Your carbonation should be strong and noticeable. I, I, oh, I, I, think, sure. I think that's a, I think that's a yeah. pretty, pretty complete picture. Yeah. It, it, and <clears throat> sorry, I, I don't mean to keep going back to this well, but you know, I am, working with the brewed IPA and the vols on that is 2.8. And the reason for that is you want it to be almost bubbly, like a champagne. Yep. You don't want that for a Pilsner. You know, you want it to be more beer like and less champagne like, but you still want a good amount of carbonation. You want the, the, those bubbles to be there and you want that head to be able to form and sit on top of the beer. That's one of the defining characteristics of a, of a pilsner. Yep. So the best way to achieve that is a slightly higher carbonation level than you would typically have. Yep. Well said. German pilsner. Let's uh, talk about some commercial examples. Um, sure. Uh, pilsner Urquell. I think is a. I mean, is is widely distributed. Is you know pretty recognizable. That's you know that's mm-hmm. that's one. That's a fitting one. Um. Trogues has one. Trogues, yeah. Yeah, Sunshine Pills. Wolfiner. Kronbacher. Yeah. Basically, you, you just he, look for these hard German words, and there's a, there's a pretty <laughs> good chance that it's probably going to fit the style. I mean, I'm, seeing, for those, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at these maps, and they're all just these hard German, German names. It's so true. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, you know the, the left-hand milk stout, the, that we both know and love. Oh yeah, um, they make a pills as well oh. called Polestar Pills. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. Oh, I think we got it. I do. I just want to make one note here. You know, so when you're talking about pilsners, you know, we 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 focused on the German pilsner, um, but there's two other types. There's the Czech pills which is in the BJCP as a pale lager is how they put it. They don't call it a Czech Pilsner. And then there's the American light lager, which is basically um, the American version of the Pilsner. And they differ in, in some ways, like the Czech Pilsner will tend to be more um, hop forward, use some more Czech based hops and tend to be a little bit, um, darker in in color as well 
and and sometimes a little bit higher in alcohol. And the American lager or the American pilsner is kind of your dreaded mass market commercial yeah. beer. Yeah. Now there's a lot of really good craft American pilsner light lager examples. Like Pollyanna makes one oh, that's yeah. really good. That, yeah, but Pollyanna's um, is great. Yeah, you know, so don't be if you see light lager and it's not one of the mass market ones, don't shy away from it thinking, well, that's just, you know, water. You know, there is flavor to these things. And and that's that's the thing about that's what's given Pilsner a bad name in a lot of people's minds is they equate it to those light lagers that have no flavor, have no, um, you know, oomph to them. And, and people tend to shy away from them. But I think if you, they're never going to be the most exciting beer you ever drank. But I think if you really focus on them and pay attention to, to what you're drinking, they can be very exciting in, in what they are. I feel like the white car example is like the perfect way to close this topic out as well. And, and I think it's worth coming back around to because, you know, like we, like we said earlier on, you know, it's, it's a beer that's, you know, just with its nature, any imperfections at all is going to show up and be very, very noticeable. So if you get, you know, if you have a, a, uh, you know, a German style lager that are, um, Pilsner, like we're, like we're talking about in this, in this episode that comes through clear and, you know, and tastes good and just, you know, is balanced and doesn't have any noticeable imperfections that brewer really knew what he was doing and and I was gonna pro- say probably went probably went to great lengths to ensure that it came out that way too I was gonna say that's a very quick way to if they have a, a light lager or a pilsner on tap that's a very quick way to know if that brewery knows what they're doing oh absolutely absolutely yeah you know that's a great that's a great point too that'd be a great test for each brewery because if they can mm-hmm. if they can do a, a pilsner properly they can probably kill it on some of the other other varieties that they would make i mean enough hops will cover up a ton of inf- imperfections oh my God, yes. in an ipa oh yes that's why i you make know, double ipas so- <laughs> like that and enough malt is gonna cover up you know crap in in a stout yeah. you know but it's <laughs> which is why i make those but the uh in a pilsner and a lager and a light lager you don't have those room for oh, air no no not at all yeah yeah which honestly as much as i hate to say this is a little bit of a credit towards the the guys in those mass market with Miller's Miller Coors and Impev and those guys is yeah it's mass market piss water but it's consistent no and you know what for that very reason the brewers at the nameless major breweries that you're talking about are are hailed as some of the best brewers in the world for that very reason I, because if you drink a case of that beer in in Boston, Massachusetts, or a case of that beer in Portland, Oregon, it is the exact they same. They taste the beer. same. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And 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 my hat off to them yes. for that. Yes. Now I know they have all the technology in the world to make that true, but at the end of the day, they still have to know what they're doing. Oh my God, yes. And it's got to you know yeah. it's got to make for that you know the transportation to you know the coast where it's making it to or beyond. Yeah. 
No, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, I mean, say, say what you want about about those beers, but there's yeah, this that that's a high compliment to to make to those brewers that can make that same beer as continuously as they as they do. Right. All right. We did it. All right, BJCP. We got through. We did. We did it well. We did it well. BJCP category 5D German pills is in the book. All right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk uh, tips from the semi-pros. We're going to talk about fermentation vessels. So stay with us. Okay. Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm still George. How you holding up there, George? I'm doing all right. I um, Yeah? All right. Yeah, I'm probably 10 or 12 ounces into this. Okay. All right. Going yeah. strong. Yeah, doing okay. all right. Yeah, trying you're, to pace I mean, myself. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, not, you're not sounding over the top. You're, you're <laughs> holding your own. Okay, good. Well, well done. I, uh, I've got about four ounces left in this um, tiramisu stout can. Or I shouldn't say in the can, in the glass, because it's all poured out uh, poured out here for me. Um, I love this beer. I really were they, do. Were they 20 ounce? 16. 16, okay. Yeah. Okay, we are going into tips from the semi-pros. And this is going to be a tip section for uh, all you home brewers out there. Um. We we're talking about fermentation vessels, and I guess to uh, kick this off, um, the um, idea for this topic came from the recent purchase that George made, and I do want him to talk in, in detail about about this, uh, mostly because I think this is a big, big upgrade for a home brewer to go to a system like this, but I think it's also worth mentioning, George, before we go into that, mm-hmm. just the other options available Um Two home brewers of of any level uh, out there, sure. And I just I just wrote down a, a handful of these. Number one, you can ferment in plastic buckets. Um, the downside, or I should say, the uh, you know the upside is you know it's e- it's easy to find. It's widely available. Um, your sizes vary. I mean, as long as you can attach an airlock to it, you know it'll it'll get the job done. You know, there's downsides to using plastic, which you and I, you know, both share. I mm-hmm. don't like the idea that you're going to scratch a um, a plastic bucket after after use while you're cleaning and then reuse it. You know, that just seems like a bad idea overall. Um, one of the downsides are that are using plastic buckets. Or, I mean, you don't have any real blow off options. So, you know, if you're not, if you're leaving yourself not a lot of headspace and you're making a high gravity beer. Yeah, you may have you may have some problems with uh, with that headspace. Yeah, so. and the other major issue that I and the reason why I always kind of steer clear of plastic buckets is you can't see what's going on. Yes, you know you have this opaque bucket that something is happening inside, and you don't know is it is you know you can't see is the croissant you know, forming and is the, uh, is the, you know, you get that roiling effect inside the, uh, inside the wort as it's fermenting. You can't see any of that. Now you can see the airlock bubbling and that'll give you a good indication of 
is something happening is co2 being generated and escaping through the airlock but being able to see that visually and see that activity can give you a really good idea of has your fermentation started how far into it are you and are you nearing the end of it so you can look at transferring it into another vessel it's inter- it's worth no- no- noting also that um, buckets are widely used in fermenting wine. Mm, I believe that, which, which I find interesting for the exact same reasons that you just mentioned. I, I mean, I share your, I, sh- I share those beliefs. I do not think fermenting in buckets is ideal, but a, you know, in the winemaking game, I mean, that's kind of the go-to fermenting vessel for a lot of people. Isn't the fermentation for wine relatively docile, but it takes a long time? It does take a long time, but I would not describe it as docile. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, well, just just think of the gravity, because your original gravity for wine is anywhere between ten eighty and ten thirteen. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. and you're and you're and you're and you're fermenting down to zero. So, I mean, that's a lot of yeast activity to do that. What? Well, hang on. So you said ten eighty and ten thirteen. Do you mean eleven thirty? I'm. So, Thank you for correcting me. Yes, 10, 10 80 and and one uh, and eleven thirteen. Oh wow! Okay, no, no, that's no, eleven eleven thirty. Eleven again. Eleven thirty. Oh. So you're looking at being able to generate. Let's see, eleven thirty to zero. That's going to be like what twenty percent? Uh, not not that high. Not that high. Okay, six. Uh, it's. I mean, wine's anywhere between ten percent and sixteen. Okay. Yeah, 1.13. I think that's about, yeah, that's about right. Okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. So, so you're right. I mean, that's not going to be docile. You're going to add right. yeast to that, and yeast is going to go, hey, guess what yeah, I can uh-huh. do? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, that's buckets, you know. Okay, and buckets. So, the, 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 the huge pro to that is they're cheap and readily available. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, we're sticking with plastic. Um, you could buy plastic carboys as well. Mm -hmm. Advantages. I mean, as George just mentioned, they're cheap. You can get plastic carboys for 15, 20 bucks. Is that right? Yeah. About. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 25 bucks. Certainly, certainly nothing, nothing more than that. You know, you can get them in a lot of places, homebrew supply stores, probably even hardware stores. You know, I, I imagine I, I've definitely seen water jugs that, um, you know, that are comparable in size to to meet like a five gallon uh, recipe. And they're in similar, you know, similar shapes. You know, if you can attach, you know, some kind of uh, airlock device, you know, it'll get it'll get the job done. And it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, and the especially if you get a like if you don't get a commercial water jug and you go for a brewer's um you know pet based uh carboy um the main difference between that and a pail is you have that smaller opening that you can you know put a, a rubber bung into or you can put one of the uh, blow off caps onto and you can be able to put in an airlock or do a blow off on it but also the interior well the whole um, carboy is designed to be scratch resistant 
which is a lot of these right. plastic buckets are not. So if you're cleaning them with a hard bristle, you know, angled brush or anything like that, you're going to be less worried and less prone to scratching um, the interior of that um, vessel. And I'll right. admit, for for things that I do that are lager based, like I did a Vienna lager, I have one. That That is my carboy that I have. I do not have a glass carboy. I have a plastic carboy. Nice. Yeah. Covered, covered plastic here. So, mm-hmm. shall we move on? We shall. All right. Let's move on to glass carboys. George started there. I'm still there. George is <laughs> graduate has graduated from glass carboys all although i'm still flying the glass carboy uh, flag um glass carboys you don't have the problem that you have with plastic buckets of not being able to see through them glass is just by its own nature see-through mm-hmm. so that's not a problem um it is more readily cleanable i will say Mostly yeah, I because think that's fair. I mean, yeah, I mean, because yeah. you're not. I mean, you you'd use the same instruments to clean uh, clean a glass carboy as you would a plastic carboy, or even for the most part a bucket. You know, I mean, angled brushes or even straight brushes just just to get down to the bottom. You know, we'll get a lot of it done. Um, you also can use um, you know cleaning agents such as PBW. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about that at length on the last show. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan, and I feel that any home brewer should use it. Um, yeah, I mean, cleaning cleaning glass with that is really pretty simple. Um, yeah. Go ahead. It's, you know, the downsides, you know, I mean, you can break glass, and breaking glass sucks. Oof. Um, yeah. It's heavy. Yeah, it can't. Yeah, it can be. It can yeah, be. Yeah, five gallons of beer is already fairly heavy. Oh, God, yes. And then you throw on a glass. And now when we're talking about a glass carboy, like you mentioned breaking it, but you unless you're dropping it on concrete, you can drop a glass carboy from a pretty decent height without worrying about it too much because it's made I'm not, not going to test that. No, no, no. <laughs> you shouldn't. But <laughs> and you, should, you absolutely should not test that. But it's made of heavy-duty glass typically. Oh, the, yeah. You know, and, oh, yeah. And, 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 and which is good because you're less prone to breakage. But the downside to that is it's heavy. You know, you're adding all of the weight of the glass on top of the weight of the beer when you're transferring it. And it's it's why, like, I saw a picture of your, uh, when you sent me the picture of your yeah. last one. I was, you did. I, this is exactly what I was going to describe. Go ahead. Yeah. You had those straps on it. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they widely sell these carboy straps just to make transporting, you know, five and six gallon glass carboys easier. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, George is 100% spot on. There's a reason why there's a market for those because it's heavy as hell. So, and, and the other con to everything we talked about so far is in order to do a secondary, you have to transfer your beer. Yes. All three of these. All three of these that we just described. Yes. I'm really glad you mentioned. That's a perfect segue. Yeah. So then that gets into the next uh, style, which is the conical fermenter. And the now, con- I, the one the one point I had was the fast ferment. That that fits into this description you're talking about, right? Uh-huh. Absolutely yes. it does. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page. Excellent. 
Yeah, and I and there's a couple different styles of conical fermenter. I have uh, and still use for certain things a uh, fast ferment conical fermenter. Now, honestly, that's a great device. It, it really is very good, and and can allow you to, uh, you know, do things that you wouldn't be able to do with a carboy. And the primary thing of that is a conical fermenter is 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 a cone. It's a kind of a bulbous uh, teardrop shape, you know, kind of reverse teardrop shape, where the the thinnest part is going to be at the bottom. And then you attach this ball to the bottom of it. And the idea is as you are fermenting and as you're creating trube, you can, that'll all collect at the bottom of the cone. You open up the valve and all of that trube will go into the ball. And so the idea is that you can collect all the trube and all the residual yeast in that ball, close the valve, take off the ball, and all of a sudden you're in secondary. No transfer, no oxygen contamination involved at all. It's quite an upgrade from the other three things that we just mentioned. You know, because as Georgia just mentioned, you know, anytime that you transfer a beer, you're opening up, you know, you know certain things to happen such as, you know, oxidation, you know, you know potential bacteria being on an auto siphon, you know, things like that. Yeah, you can you can circumvent all that by having this type of system that just allows you to, you know, take the trube out of the vessel that it's that it's in presently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it, you know, it, they make conical fermenters in a couple different styles. Uh, I had the plastic one, which is again made of that hard pet plastic, so you don't have to worry about scratching it too much. Um, but they also make metal ones. And uh, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a glass one. Have you? Oh, a glass conical fermenter? No, I have not. Yeah, so I think just the plastic and the uh, and the metal ones are the only ones that you can that you'll typically find. And so the metal ones. What's, what's the price on one of those? On a fast ferment? Yeah. Well, I think it was like five hundred. Five hundred bucks? No, no, no. I I can't, yeah. Yeah, hang on. Let me. I thought it was like a hundred. No, it's a hundred dollars. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay. I'm, all right. Yeah. yeah that's about. That's right about what I thought. Yeah, I was thinking about the metal ones. Some of the metal ones are are like okay, like five hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, the fast ferment is about a hundred dollars, and that comes with the brackets to hang it on the wall, and the um. And the ball for the bottom and the valve and everything you need to get started. And now, there are accessories that you can get for it. And the primary one that a lot of people get, and I got too, is a, is a wire stand to put it in if you don't want to hang your fermenter on the wall. And I find that very useful because that wire stand is mobile and you can move that over towards your, your boil kettle and be able to transfer into there from the boil kettle Um and not have to worry about how do I stand this thing up and be able to transfer the beer at the same time. Yeah, just the idea of hanging five gallons of beer on a wall makes me a little uneasy. Yeah, again, it's not not light. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not that the studs of a house are not going to be able to handle that, but again, I don't feel the need to test that. Right. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I have the brackets to hang it on the wall, but I never did. Um, I always use the wire stand. And, you know, so for me, that conical, that particular conical fermenter has kind of become my auxiliary. Uh, If I have a second batch that I'm doing, or if I have, um, if, you know, and actually I want to start doing a little bit of wine and uh, mead fermentation in all right yeah in that conical and i'm kind of excited about that because those have limited trube which gives my uh yeast um collection abilities and reuse abilities in that ball just go through the roof okay nice yeah so you know when you're talking about a conical fermenter one of the things people kind of forget because you're not transferring it is you still have primary trube loss in the um, in the conical fermenter because when you uh, have that ball and you ha- and you open the valve and you allow the trube to go through, you will still lose some volume because of the the you know trube and 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 liquid collection in that ball. When you close that off and spin that off, you're still going to lose a little bit, like you like you do when in transfer from primary to secondary in a carboy scenario. Right. Yeah. Right. So keep that in mind. So I think we covered all the uh, all the uh, we're paving the way through the uh, for the main event here because yeah. uh, yes, all these are great fermentation options. There's plus and minuses uh, both ways. I am still on the glass carboy uh, bandwagon. Uh, George has long since upgraded to the um, <laughs> fast ferment conical vessel, um, but. The uh, the story of the day is going to be George's recent purpose, uh, purchase, and the name of the purchase is the Catalyst Fermentation System, which is an upgrade from all of these that we're that we're talking about. Um, it has many of the advanced features that uh, that was just described um, on the fast ferment, uh, only just you know is better overall. So. George, so, the floor is yours. Yeah, and the way I describe the catalyst is kind of brewing on autopilot. Um, because one of the big things you take into account when you're doing um, the brew, uh, you know, the transfer into the primary fermenter for a carboy or a pale or even a, um, a fast ferment is you want to make sure that you're doing an adequate whirlpool and you're... Um, transferring as little of that you know dropped out proteins and everything from your boil kettle into your primary fermenter as possible so you have as much of just wort with um you know that you could create your own trube from the from the primary fermentation in there as possible the catalyst kind of takes a different approach so the catalyst is a conical fermenter with a wide mouth at the bottom, which is tip different from your typical conical. And the idea is the wide mouth mason jars screw onto the bottom, which gives you a couple of options of different sizes of wide mouth mason jars. And that becomes important in a minute. The, the, you know, the typical mason jar that you see that, um, you know, is a, the tall, wide mouth mason jar you, you start with and the idea is don't you don't have to do a whirlpool you just throw your entire wort into 
the catalyst. Now, of course, you want to make sure your catalyst <laughs> is sanitized, um, but you throw the entire thing in there, and then you wait two to three days. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow, you know, the way that the catalyst is designed, that it has a 45-degree angle at the, uh, at the cone part going down into the mason jar. You just leave that open, and you allow everything to settle into the mason jar. Then you close that up, you spin off the mason jar, and that's all your whirlpool and trube and everything. And then you chuck that, you re-sanitize your mason jar, and you spin it back on. If you need to do a little bit of extra, if you have some more, you know, whirlpool or trube at the bottom, if you had a really aggressive um, hop addition or a high a high gravity beer, sometimes you'll have this. You can you can do that again if you need to. Um, but then, you know, once you have that, then that everything's ready to go. Your 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 whirlpool and your trube is all taken care of. You toss your your primary fermentation in you your your yeast or your starter or what have you into the into the um, device and you allow it to um, ferment. Now, the one note that I'll give about the catalyst is it's a very wide, very squat type device. So the use of firm cap uh, is highly recommended, and what that does is help to keep down the foaming and croissant that you'll have inside of this device so you don't accidentally clog up the airlock. Um, I would honestly recommend that in almost any conical just because they tend to be prone to um, a smaller amount of headspace, but especially in the catalyst, you want to make sure that you do that. So, uh, go ahead. Question, question. Yep. What's the capacity of the um, catalyst? Six and a half. Six and a half. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you uh, you allow that to do all of its primary fermentation, and then you reopen the the the, the um, valve at the bottom, and you allow all the trube and everything to collect at the bottom. All, everything has been generated from the 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 yeast. You take that off, and then you can take one of the small mason jars, like a wide mouth jelly mason jar, and you can spin that on, and you can do your yeast collection. You open it up a little bit, and you can allow the yeast to get in there and settle. And you can, if you really want to experiment with re- yeast reuse and starters and everything, that's a, a phenomenal way to do that. Because mason jars really lend themselves to being able to seal with the caps and preserve what's inside them. Um, it's the reason that, you know, like I've really gone... Um, uh, I don't even know how to describe it here, but I'm doing a lot of jellies and preserves and things like that here just because I'm finding it entertaining. And, um, and you know, and mason jars, when you seal them up in that, they will keep for a very long time. And the same is true with yeast is you're already putting it in a vessel that you can seal and it'll be airtight. It'll be, um, you know, resistant to growth of, um, bacteria and mold and those kinds of things that you that are undesirable to a uh, to a yeast sample 
So, I mean, the thing that I really like about the Catalyst and why I'm going to continue to use it is, like I said, it's kind of brewing on autopilot, and it gives you that whole bucket idea that the lid is the entire size of it. It's not a smaller one like it is on the fast ferment, and it's not a tiny opening like it is on a carboy. It's the entire top. Um but once you put it in there, you don't have to do any transfers. So it seals it up and it keeps it airtight, but it really gives you easy accessibility to the um, to to everything once you're ready to transfer it over. From the ground to the top, how tall is this? From the ground to the top, you're probably looking at about three feet. About three feet. Okay, got it. I saw. Yeah. I just saw a picture online of this just sitting on a bar top, and mm-hmm. I, I was the image I had in my head was right about three feet, like you were describing. Just seems like a little bit large for a bar top, but yeah, but no, now, I, I, I've got the picture. You've seen my island. I have an island that's probably about comes up to about you know a little higher than my waist. Yeah. In order to transfer it into a keg. What I did was I put it on top, and they actually have a cone that you can put on the bottom that you that you then have a, uh, a hose line, a um, three uh, three eighths inch hose line that you can just screw onto the bottom and have that hose line come off, and you can go right into bottles or you can go right into a keg. So I screwed that onto the bottom, had it go right into my keg, and just drained the whole thing right Why into a keg. A second. So this lever that it's got on the bottom of that, that can that can control the flow directly into a keg? I mean, it can, but it also comes with one of those pinch valves for the... Uh, um, oh, oh, okay. For the three-eighths. That, so, it's a, yeah. so it's a secondary control of the of the flow, just right. in those, those pinch valves? Yeah. Wow. So, but once, you know, for which is really useful for a bottle, but for a keg, once I got it flowing, I just, you know, opened up the pinch oh, valve and let it go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. How much for this thing? So this was 200 Wow. And that, I think, has a lot to do with the engineering involved with it and the fact that it already comes with a very, very sturdy, very well-built stand which for $100 right. you don't get with the fast ferment. That was like an extra $30. Okay. So, okay, got it. And that was and that and that um that setup was way thinner metal than this. I can tell. Oh yeah, for sure. And this is actually plastic. It's not um Oh, metal. really? Oh, it looks mm-hmm. like glass from this from this picture. Okay. Oh no, it's it's all plastic. It's scratch resistant plastic. I said, I said um, glass there. I meant to say metal. It lo- it looks like it looks like either cast iron or aluminum. Oh, no, no. Well, no, it's not. It's plastic. But there is some benefit to that is that it's light. So, you know, picking it up and putting it on the on my island that I have um, was, you know, super easy to do. Okay. All right. Yeah. And when you close that valve, it's closed. Yeah. If you spin off off a a mason jar, you're not worrying about leakage. Yeah. 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 Does it come? I, now I just saw a picture of it. It's got three different size mason jars mm-hmm. that are that are just on display here. So, yeah. So I mean, as long as they have the same neck size, which it looks like they did, you can attach whatever kind of mason jar you want. Correct, and you can find wide mouth. You just need a wide mouth mason yeah. jar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can go to Target 
or Walmart or wherever and get a wide mouth mason jar. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what part of what I really like is that um, I have a number of mason jars in my house already, and to be able to you know collect this, I was actually I have one sanitized while the other one was full. I spun off one, put another one on, opened the valve, and then I was able to go take care of the tube from the first one. Yeah, you know, so it's not a. I, I really like that part of it because you you know with the fast ferment, if you want another ball, you have to get another ball from fast ferment. Right. With this, if I want another mason jar, I just grab another mason jar. You know, so that's yeah. So I I mean I, I'm really I like how it's working so far. I've done two brews in it so far and uh i'm i'm looking to do another one and um you know so far i mean it's working great you know so where is this what where's the company that makes this i think they're in where are they uh florida that's right oh yeah okay yeah they're in florida in america yeah, made in America. That's, yeah, that's all right. yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's the crafter crafter brew, um, and then the other, you know, like I said, the other the other option that you have is the metal ones, which we've seen at a number of places. Like I think uh, didn't um, the brew uh, uh, workforce guys didn't they have one? I remember early on seeing a fast ferment. There in one of their aisles. No, I thought they had a metal one, didn't they? You might be right. Just the fast ferment is the one that stands out in my mind. Yeah, and so the 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 metal ones are great, you know, and they last forever, and they are easy to clean. They're scratch resistant. They're you know germ resistant and everything. The downside to them, they tend to be large vessels. You know, and so if you're doing a five gallon batch, you're not gonna you're not gonna be utilizing a metal fermenter for what it, it's intended to be. You know, yeah. you're looking at, you know, 10, 15, 20 gallon batches typically. And they're expensive. Yeah. Very they're very expensive. <laughs> um so I mean that's the downside to them, but they do last forever and they are very um very good to use so yeah yeah this is advanced brewing right here and this is i mean i think the way we ordered these from talking about from plastic buckets to now the catalyst uh, fermentation system i mean this is uh i mean this is not only just evolution this is you know more advanced brewing and you know these are these are things that are really going to simplify not only your brew day but just your overall brewing process entirely mm-hmm. this is i mean honestly i mean i'm ready to I'm ready to fork over the money and buy one of these right now. <laughs> and honestly, <laughs> in the next couple of days, that that might happen. Because honestly, just just seeing this and just hearing what you're describing, that's exactly the image that I have in my head. Like this is this is a next level of home brewing. Yeah, I mean, a conical fermenter is it necessary for home brewing? No, but does it's, it make it just things makes a hell of a lot of things better and easier? And it does yeah. both of those. Right. Absolutely. And 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 that's absolutely true. And that's uh, that's what I would uh, 
I mean, that's, I, I can, I, that's why I would absolutely recommend if, if you're looking to simplify your whole brew experience, invest in a conical. Mm-hmm. There's n- absolutely nothing yeah. wrong with using a carboy. Um, but if you're looking to simplify your brewing experience, invest in a conical. Well said. Well said. All right, that, George, fantastic. That, I mean, really, that, that was a that was a fantastic presentation on this. Well, thank you. And yeah. for the record, we are not endorsed or sponsored by Fast Ferment or Catalyst. We're just we both have used them and we're fans of the uh, of the product. We think they yeah. do good stuff. So yeah. If you want to sponsor, I was going to say if they want yeah. to sponsor, send, us. yeah. Hey, we got a Facebook page. <laughs> send us a message. You know, we'll we'll give you a quote. No problem. No problem at all. <laughs> Good deal. All right, let's uh, let's uh, wrap wrap that wrap up that segment. And mm-hmm. uh, if we have no last notes, um, I do have a couple of follow ups from the uh, last uh, last episode that we did. Oh, okay, good. Uh, the first thing is um, one of the things that we uh, that we were unable to produce an immediate answer for was the ratio of bleach to water in order to make a sanitized solution. Now, um, I guess to set that up a little bit, yes, you can use um, your regular home bleach to make an, uh, a liquid that you can sanitize with. The problem is... As George has said very clearly and very accurately on the last show, bleach kills anything it touches. So mm-hmm. you, it's absolutely important that it, that it be diluted properly. So the ratio that we found online was one cup of bleach to five gallons of water is the ratio to get a sanitizer solution from bleach. Yeah, and that's general disinfectant sanitizer. And hopefully with that level of dilution, you're not going to have that nasty bleach smell anywhere near your brewing equipment. Yeah. All right. And the next thing. Uh, we were talking about tubing. Because, I mean, la- or I should say backing up a little bit further. We were, you know, our, uh, our uh, um, tips from the semi-pros for the last episode was about, cl- uh, about cleaning. Um, and obviously bleach has, you know, has a place in that conversation because you can sanitize with it. Um, the other thing we talked about was cleaning tubing, which is not usually the easiest thing to clean because of just, you know, the small size that it has and lack of accessibility. So we asked if there was a if there was kind of a universal answer um, behind how long you can use tubing for before it goes bad. And um, after doing a healthy amount of research, I found that there is no answer to this question. <laughs> But, yeah. but here is, but here is, the, here is the what all the feedback is, and I agree a hundred percent with this feedback. So I'm going to go ahead and relay it. Um, many brewers report using the same tubing for up to multiple years if cleaned properly. Cleaning properly meaning properly rinsing, drying by either hanging or using an air compressor to make sure everything is dry, and where nece- necessary, um, put PBW solution through it, and then rinse and dry properly you know, as well, you know, just, you know, repeat all those steps. But the overall fact that one should all, one should remember on this topic is plastic and vinyl tubing is cheap. So no home brewer out there should go too far out of their way to lengthen the life of tubing. When in doubt, replace it. Yeah. That's it. I couldn't have, I couldn't have said it better. So what is the, what is the lifeline of tubing? Just, you know, the ultimate message is who cares? 
<laughs> do yeah. do what you do what you can do to clean your tubing, and when in doubt, throw it out. That's it. Yeah. If there you're go. if you're starting to see, you know, absurd discoloration. Yes. Or yes. That should, I mean, that, that should be of, your hint right there. If you're seeing yeah. discoloring in your tubing, get rid of it. Do not yeah. put healthy beer through it. I th- you know, and like you said, in, unless you're talking about high temperature tubing, which tends to be a little bit more expensive. Yeah. But just standard tubing that you'll use for you know transfers and auto siphons and things like that we're talking about sense on the foot so if you're replacing that on an annual basis you're investing at most ten dollars yeah exactly and i think that's have some safety stock maybe 20 yeah and I think that's probably the, uh, but you know, if you keep it clean, if you're diligent about not letting beer sit in those lines, uh, or work or, you know, exposed to oxygen and, and bacteria and things, they will last for a long time. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it, it, it's, it's one of those situations where better safe than sorry. And if you think you need to replace your tubing, replace your tubing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I think we got it. I think we wow. did too. What a show. All right. Well, I teased early in the episode that I was going to tell my uh, my story about the Arenda. And, uh, oh, yes. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm excited no, to hear no, this too. I, I, no, no. It's no? going to save for another episode. Oh, all right. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you that, are you that excited about it? Uh, you know, you know what, you know what, you know what, it's, you know what, it's not worth coming back to. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> well, this is already the longest episode we've ever done, but stick, stick with me. I will keep this, I will keep this, uh, this story to under five minutes, I promise. Okay. So, all right, we painted, uh, we painted the background pretty clearly about how we first came to discover the Arenda and how we both discovered to, to love it, you know, and, you know, th- this, the, um, you know, the Belgian strong ale aged in aged in red wine barrels was something that neither of us had, had experienced. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we both thought it was fantastic. So we were there on the night that it, uh, that it did its overall release. They had George, if I remember this correctly, I think they had, I think they had a pallet of the red wine variety that was out in the parking lot and they were just selling 22 ounce bottles just right straight off the pallet. Yeah. Hey, do you remember the, right. the same way? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I think I walked away with three bottles that night, if I remember correctly, and all three of them. Th- this is a this is a tip for uh, for uh, craft beer collectors out there. Um, if you're putting your newly purchased um, special edition craft beer into your fridge, you're not. Yeah, that's no longer a collector's edition beer because you better be drinking that beer. <laughs> um, you can keep beer at room temperature for as long as you want, but at the time that you refrigerate it, that's that's fit for consumption, and that's it. So, anyways, it sat in my uh, in my uh, fridge for a couple of months and didn't think too much about it. And because uh, at the time I was in school and I was working my ass off in my day job and also going to class and studying on the weekends, and George and I did this show, and that was pretty much my life. Um. And then after, uh, and then finals came around, and it came into the, ev- uh, the evening where I completed my last final, and it was a long day of 
7.30 to 5 work and then leave work on time just to have a sandwich and uh, go to class to take my last final and then leave. So I got home that night at, I don't know, call it about, you know, probably 8.30 or something like that. And I just said, you know what, you know, got done with my last final, you know, why not have a beer? So my ended up finding my way to uh, one of the Arenda bottles that was that was in my uh, in my fridge. Opened uh, up the Arenda and had a glass of it. As George had mentioned, the Arenda is about twenty two ounces. So uh, I had my glass, which was big enough for maybe eight to ten ounces worth. So I uh, drank a glass of that uh, eight to ten eight to ten ounces of Arenda and. Uh, with uh, before even getting to the bottom of that eight to that first eight to ten ounces, I was uh, on my couch and proceeded to fall asleep and did not wake <laughs> up until the middle of the night. So uh, I ended up wasting more than half of my Arenda bottle that was not. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. I so do remember that. So that so that story's worst. out now. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't feel good about it, but you know, listen. Hey, when you know, I, listen. When you're exhausted, you're exhausted, and you know oh, truth. A, a beer as strong as the Arenda is not going to lend well to that. Yeah, no, I, I've done that. I've done that with beer before. As oh, a, of course, you know, any anyone open has. a bomber and and get halfway through it and fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, for sure. But yeah, but oh, that was man. that was that was a sad beer to, to pour down the drink because I there's nothing else I could do. I'm with you. You know, it's funny you should say that about, you know, the Arenda is actually on this label. I I don't remember if it was on the volume one, but on this label it says drink fresh, age at will. Yes. So they're actually recommending don't hold on to it, drink it, you know? So, yeah. That is good advice. All right. All right. What a show. What a show. That was, this was excellent. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Any uh, any last minute notes? That, that that is literally everything I had written down here. Uh no, I think we covered just about everything. All right. Remember, you know, Pilsner, don't you know, shy away from it. You drink it and pay attention to what you're drinking, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It'll have Absolutely. more nuance than you expect. Absolutely. All right. One last thing. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Nice Place to Brew. Follow us on Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. And if you have any issues with anything that um, I brought up earlier on the show, you know, send me a message on Facebook, and I'll be sure to, you know, if you're from it, Boss or Drunk yeah, if you're Monk from and you want Boss, yeah, I'm just not going <laughs> to tell you my last name. So you know, just start, <laughs> judge my beer accordingly. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's, let's seal this one up when we raise a glass. George, do the honor, sir. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Oh, okay. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>